Welcome to the 78th episode of the 4th and 824 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I am your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, we will talk about Major League Baseball and go over random assorted important news from the world of sports. Let's jump right in with a look at Major League Baseball, starting with the National League East race. In the NL East, the Atlanta Braves are in first. There are three games out of the Philadelphia Phillies, who are 74 and 72. The Braves are 76 and 68. They are also five and a half ahead of the Mets, who are at 72 and 75. Uh, the Marlins are at 62 and 84, uh, 15 games back, and the Nationals are 60 and 86, 17 games back. The most notable thing in this division is that if you look at the top three, the Braves are five and five in their last ten, the Phillies are four and six in their last ten, and the Mets are three and seven in their last ten. So a perfect descending order there to show you how good these teams are, and really they're. None of them are that good. They're probably all going to get bounced by whoever they play in the first round, uh, which is most likely going to be Milwaukee, probably 90% chance it's Milwaukee. Uh, and look, the Braves are maintaining their lead in the division, and this race has pretty much plateaued in terms of up and down trends between teams. Uh, at least it seems like that. I'm not going to say that for sure because I forget. What I looked at Philly's schedule, and it's 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 pretty easy. They play a lot of bad teams. They play the Pirates a few times, so... They have an easy schedule coming up, and they also play the Marlins, so they have some easy games, but at the same time, they are still down three games, and look, the Braves have been taking series from teams like the Giants, so the schedule won't really get in their way, uh, and they're five and a half ahead of the Mets after it seemed like the Mets might move upward after their series went over the Yankees. Instead, they lost three in a row since that series. Uh, typical Mets is really <laughs> the only way to describe that, and uh Phillies are two and a half back in the wild card race, and the Mets are five games. And as I've said a lot, it's pretty much the same lead. It's pretty much the same record, that top wild card team, as the Braves. Uh, so, not really much to hope for if you're the if you're the teams in second. Although I guess the Phillies can say that their easy schedule might give them a chance to get over the Braves. But I don't know. I, other than the Giants series this weekend, I don't think the Braves' schedule is that much harder. Maybe it includes a series against the Mets or two that kind of throws that out of whack. But I, I don't see anybody taking this division but the Braves at this point. Yeah, um, as much as I doubted my uh, Braves prediction, I think when we looked at things mid uh, mid season after some injuries, they've kind of they righted the ship. They made a little spurt, and then they kind of play five hundred baseball, six well, and four baseball, and well, nobody else will claim the division. Well, their general manager upgraded their team yes. like no other team in their division did by Revamp. literally importing yeah. an entire outfield. Yes, uh, and I don't. And that team was not the under five hundred team. That team, even if you look at it, they have their hot streak plus playing five hundred. You add it all, all up, they're actually probably one of the one of uh, have a record probably up there with a team like Milwaukee. Maybe not that good, but yep, since that probably time. in that range since that time. Yeah. Uh, if you check it out, I, I don't know the exact stat, but. Maybe. Probably if you look at since the trade deadline, it's pretty. It's probably yeah. pretty good. All right. Well, speaking of the Milwaukee Brewers, let's move over to the National League Central. The Brewers are now up twelve and a half games on St. Louis uh, at eighty-nine and fifty-seven. St. Louis is seventy-six and sixty-nine. And by the way, this is the first time that any team other than the Reds have been in second place for what seems like maybe a month and a half, two months. Probably since the Cubs were in first. This is the first time that it's not the Reds uh, in second. So, St. Louis has uh, been playing really well recently. Honestly, uh, seven and three in their last ten, and on a five-game winning streak right now. While the Reds are three and seven in their last ten, and the Padres are four and six in their last ten. Now, 
St. Louis plays San Diego in a pivotal series in the wildcard race while the Reds have to deal with playing the Dodgers. Uh, some not very favorable pitch up, pitching matchups in that series too, so we'll see how that shakes out. But currently the Cardinals are now a full game ahead of the Reds, who are at 76-71, and 71, so actually two games back in the loss column, same amount of wins. The Reds are 13-and-a-half back in this division. I would say Milwaukee probably clinches next week. Uh, based on the timing of the Dodgers clinching and how many games up they were on the team uh, on the Padres at the time uh, to clinch, I think it was about 15, 16 games, and it looks like yeah, their magic numbers even <laughs> there's 16 games left. They're 12 and a half up. Their magic yeah, numbers four. Yeah, even if I was about to say, even if they don't, even if this lead is still the same, it probably doesn't matter because it's still going to be too big to overcome by the end of the season. Uh, but yeah, I mean, maybe the Brewers can make a push for home field, although they're. Pretty much, they're they're significantly behind the Dodgers and the Giants. So even if it took a giant, uh, I almost said a giant giant slump, but a big slump from the Giants to get them out of first place overall, I think even the Dodgers would still end up with a better record if they were able to overtake San Francisco for the division lead. So it looks like Milwaukee's uh, stuck in that two seed. But honestly, that's probably the best place to be. I would argue they might even try to lose their last few games that they have a chance to get home field and let the Dodgers have home field because let's be honest would you want to play the loser in the wild or the winner of the wild card game between that that will be at home for either the Dodgers and the Giants who have the two best records in the league this year because I think that's almost worse than playing on the road I think it easily is actually uh, I would much rather play whoever comes out of the NLEs be it the Braves the Phillies or the Mets than play the a, a fired up team from the Dodgers or the Giants after winning a one game wild card series uh yeah not a, not going to happen. So I think the Brewers will probably be fine staying in second right where they are right now. Uh, but maybe maybe this Cardinals thing can still hold up. I think they're playing well enough that it can continue. And really, San Diego since the All-Star break is 22-30. and 30. So this is not a good team anymore. I mean, sure, they have Tatis and Machado, and maybe the injuries were the reason why they were pretty bad for a while. But uh, Tatis has come back, and they haven't been any really any better they had multiple stretches where they were about two and eight in their last 10 they have gotten swept by the Dodgers twice after so-called owning LA at the beginning of the season even though none of that matters because guess who wins the late series guess who wins the late season series and guess who won the playoff series last year it's the Dodgers and they haven't lost a game to them uh across the playoffs and across September for the last two years that should tell you something about those two teams and where they stand according to each other July games don't matter to the Dodgers although maybe they should have taken them a little more seriously based on how this division race is going to shake out. One or two of those early games might come back to bite them. A Mike Talkman robbery home run earlier, a robbery of a home run way earlier in the year might uh, have a lot of outcome on that. But I'm talking so much about the NL West that we should probably just move on to it anyway. Uh, so in the NL West, you have the Giants at 95-52 and 52 in the division lead and in the overall NL lead and in the best record in the league. Then you have the Dodgers right behind them at 94-53, and 53, one game back. Uh... Look, the Giants won nine in a row while the Dodgers won four in a row, although the Giants have now lost two in a row, allowing the Dodgers to get within a division, within a game of the division lead heading into the weekend. Both teams became the first two teams to clinch a postseason berth earlier in the week. Giants did it first by really just a day, but uh, then the Padres, even after taking the last two games of the series against the Giants, are half game back of, C- of St. Louis for that wild card uh Spot that second wild card spot, I should say, because the Dodgers have obviously have the first one, uh, 17 games up on that second wild card spot, so nobody's touching that spot uh, as we know because they clinched. 
So whoever it is out of the Dodgers or the Giants will be at home for that game. Uh, and we'll see how that works with shaking out the pitching matchups. Uh, if you're the Dodgers and you're the Giants, I mean, regardless of where you are, I think both teams would rather the race not be close so that they can rest some players, uh, get some guys set up, get the pitching staff set up, get the bullpen ready to make sure that they can actually have their full staff available. And I mean, everybody's available in a one game play in a one game wild card race uh, in a one game wild card playoff game. But if you're the Dodgers, you know, you, you've been after Jansen or Trinan pitches two days in a row, you never pitch them the next day. You might have to think about the last day of the season, even if the division is on the line. Well, the division is on the line today, but then the whole season is on the line tomorrow. So you might have to say, you know what, we're not going to Jansen and Trinan in the 8th and ninth, even though it's against the Brewers, and it might have a huge impact on the division race. And even if it's a game left, I mean, look, you got to do what you got to do to make sure that you're ready to win a playoff game first. Uh, so, And by the way, the Giants might have to make the same decision with Jake McGee and Tyler Rogers. So we'll have to see how that works out with those teams. But uh, I, th- I think they both have the I think they both have good enough managers and front offices to figure out to figure out their problem line, figure out their problems, line up their rotations. Urias was on a very light pitch count earlier this week, only pitched 76 pitches in a game where he had a shutout. So uh, it's clear that there's something going on, and that wasn't the first time that that's happened recently. Uh, a lot of people have been saying that Scherzer is now lined up for the wild card game and has been, which I'm sure is a good plan, and really it's between Scherzer and Beeler. And by the way, we don't do this often enough, how about the Cy Young race? It looks like it's now Scherzer's to win. For a while, it looked like it was between Bueller and Corbin Burns. Then Corbin Burns threw a no-hitter, and it really looked like it were a combined no-hitter with Josh Hader, and it really looked like it would be him versus uh, Bueller for that. Bueller had that bad game against the Giants and also had a pretty decent outing the last time he was out there uh, against the Padres, but not exactly Walker Bueller's normal. I think he gave up two or three runs in seven innings. So uh, that's, look, that race was really, really not supposed to be tight, and now all of a sudden it is. And by the way, the reason why it's tight, Max Scherzer carried a perfect game into the eighth inning a few days after Corbin Burns had his no-hitter. He's the ERA leader in the National League right now at 2.15, ahead of Bueller and ahead of Burns, who are both in the 2.3 range. And he's been doing it across multiple teams, as we know. Uh, and he had that 3,000th career strikeout. He's up there in strikeouts way higher than Bueller is just because he's not the biggest strikeout guy. So we'll have to see, but that race is going to be pretty interesting too. Yeah, the Dodgers actually have three Cy Young candidates with Julio Urias uh, tied for the league lead, lead and win. So three Cy Young candidates are a very interesting race. And um, then to mention the rest of the division, the Padres are 18 and a half games back at 76 and 70. The Rockies are 26 and a half games back at 68 and 78, which... Actually means they're not too far away from the wild card, if you really think about it. They're actually not mathematically eliminated yet, which is surprising. Uh, but then you have the Diamondbacks, of course, 47 and a half games back at 47 and 99. Uh, but look, the pot, the Rockies have been playing better than the Padres in their last 10 games. And winning some games on the road. And, and winning some games on the road, but also getting swept at home by the Giants. So they've kind of flipped their script from a while, how they used to be not able to win any games on the road and win every single game at home, and now it's kind of the opposite. So we'll see what happens with the Rockies later in the season. But uh, in that wild card race, you have St. Louis at 76 and 69. They control the second spot right now. 
even with a negative run differential on the year. The Padres are 76-70, and 70, just a half game behind from the loss column. But again, that series this weekend probably will go a long way in terms of deciding that. And if they split it, it probably allows the Reds to be able to drop some games against the Dodgers and keep their heads in the race themselves. Uh, the Reds won game back at 76-71, and 71, so all three teams there were 76 wins, but in descending order of losses... Uh, or ascending order, I should say. Uh, the Cardinals have 69, the, the Padres have 70, and the Reds have 71. The Phillies only have 72 losses, but they only have 74 wins, uh, So, which means that they probably have some games to make up by the end of the season, which is going to be an interesting thing. Uh, but they're two and a half games back, or at least they have a very compact schedule probably. Uh, they're two and a half games back of the Cardinals, and then you have the Mets, uh, 72 and 75, five games back. So Wild card race is pretty interesting. You got five teams within five games, and then you got the Dodgers who are hosting that game if they don't overtake San Francisco. And if they do, then San Francisco will be hosting that wild card game. Yeah, and uh, as you mentioned, the Padres uh, not doing really well since the All Star break. They do have Tatis back, but unfortunately for we talked about Cy Young candidates, they don't have any Cy Young candidates on their staff. Tatis can't pitch. They That's did, their well, they did for a while, but uh, it seems like Blake Snell and Yu Darvish are throwing are, are throwing on each other's uniforms every night now. All of a sudden, pitching from the wrong side. Uh, Blake Snell in the first half was awful. And in the second half, he's brought his ERA all the way from up in the sixes to down to almost below four. Then you have Yu Darvish, whose ERA was down in the two lower than 2.5 and was really almost in the Cy Young conversation. And all of a sudden, his is all the way up in the, in the high threes, maybe even low fours at this point. Uh, other than them, Joe Musgrove has been pretty consistent all year. He's been the only one who stayed at like a steady rate, but... It seems like uh, he can get them one win, but who can get them the others? And sometimes teams can still beat Musgrove. He's not untouchable. He's not really one of those guys who you think of in the Scherzer or Beeler or Burns or Woodruff kind of level where you think, oh, God, he's on the mound. We're not winning. But uh, he is up there in terms of the stats there. So he's got some Cy Young in him, but he's not really a leading contender in that race. However, he is still holding it down for them, and then Snell has been better, but you know, I, I really think it will be interesting if they get it, even if they get into the playoffs, which I'm not sure they will. Who do you start? The guy with the bad second half, who's your best pitcher overall, the guy with the better second half, who's not known to go very long into games, and your bullpen has been really struggling all year because of how injured it is? Or do you start the guy who's been consistent right in between those guys, lower than all of their peaks, but also higher than all their lows by a lot? It's a very interesting conversation for the Padres, but yeah, I think they're uh, going to be throwing whatever they can to get to the playoffs. Yeah, I was about to say, about but honestly, year. I don't know if they can. I, I don't know if they can even try to yeah, manipulate it to set it up. They don't no. have no, they don't. All right, well, uh, that wraps up our look at the National League. Let's go over to the American League and start also in the East over there. Now, the AL East is the only division that can make the argument that it's nearly as good as the NL West, uh, and really, they're they're up there for sure. Uh, the Rays are at 91-56, and 56, so actually only three games back of the Dodgers for the second-best record in baseball. They have the third-best. Uh, Eight-and-a-half games back of them, the Toronto Blue Jays and Boston Red Sox. Uh, Blue Jays at 82-64, and 64, the Red Sox at 83-65. and 65. Then you have the Yankees at 82-65, and 65, nine games back. And then, of course, you have the Orioles, who are one loss away from their 100th loss on the year, 47-99, uh, 43-and-a-half games back. But look... The really interesting thing in this division 
is that every team is five and five or worse in their last ten, except for the Blue Jays, who are eight and two. The Red Sox are four and six. The Yankees are four and six. Hey, even the Orioles are four and six, which is better than they normally are. Uh, and then you have the Rays at five and five, which who cares? The Rays are pretty much going to win this division. They can play five and five for the rest of the year and win this division. But the Blue Jays really needed a late push, like a very very heavy push to get there. And they got it. Uh, they went 8-2 and two over the last 10 games, as I said, and both the Yankees and the Red Sox kind of stumbled to that 4-6 and six record. Because of that, the Blue Jays are now tied with the Red Sox for the first wildcard spot, while the Yankees are now half a game back of the second wildcard spot because of both the Blue Jays and the Red Sox are clogging that up there. Um, while it seemingly, maybe two weeks ago, they were seemingly a lock for the playoffs after that huge winning streak that they were on, I think of about... 12 or 13 games at some point. Now it looks like their playoff hopes are really dwindling, and I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, in all honesty, because I always thought that it would be the Red Sox and the Rays ahead of them. Then I thought that the Yankees were the, yeah, of course, they're going to figure out a way to get above Oakland, and that's all they're going to need to do. But the Blue Jays have started playing finally to what they've spent, to the money they've spent. They had Springer out injured for a while. Now they've basically said they made a desperate move and said, look, even if you can't run out there because of your ankle injury, you got a DH. They've been DHing him a lot recently because they just need his bat to just. They just need all the. They need all the juice they can get, uh, and it worked. And really, now I think Springer's almost back to the point where he's healthy and playing in the outfield and can almost every day. Simeon's been on fire. Uh, we'll talk about things that Vladdy's been doing recently. Boba Shett has been good throughout the season. Teoscar Hernandez too. Ordez Gurriel Jr. has been one of the RBI leaders recently uh, in the month of September, so they got a lot of hot hitters right now, and really that's what their team was banking off of. Robbie Ray is probably the leading candidate for the AL Cy Young Award, and that's another thing that they have. They have a great pitching staff behind that, and because of the Barrios trade, now they have a good 1-2 combo, and they also have Hyunjin Ryu to hold it down as a third guy, even though maybe you signed him to be better than that, but look, at this point... If he can be your third guy, you're going to be pretty good come playoff time. So they have three guys that they can turn to in the wild card game, a Cy Young contender, a guy who probably could have won one a few years ago with the Dodgers. So they have, they're they in a really, really good place. Uh, but it really just locks the Yankees out of that spot. Yeah, well, and uh, you don't you haven't mentioned run differential, but you, are, you talk about it all year, and it's finally kind of... Uh, aligning the team, stratifying the teams here. The Blue Jays at plus 175, the Red Sox at plus 60. Although the, the Blue Yankees, Jays have added on to that yes. in this winning streak a lot. Still, it, it was been, really, been, really they good. Was, they were mired in fourth place, but yet they had the better run differential. And over time, it tends to uh, be a good indicator of how things are going to turn out. It really or the run differential out. comes all the way down, and then all of a sudden you look like a moron for talking about, <laughs> about it being an important factor by the end of the season. So it's a little inconsistent, but... This time for the Blue Jays, it felt like, but the Blue Jays just had something about them where, you know, you just felt like it will turn around. The question was always, is this 10-game deficit, is this 8-game probably at some point with the Yankees and their winning streak, is it going to be enough? Because it's true. They needed help from the other teams, and they got it. They they're Really, they kind of got lucky that they got it, but the Red Sox COVID inju- issues and the Yankees just not playing well, 4-6 and six in their last 10 for both those teams— it's that's the reason why the Blue Jays have been able to make this comeback is because they could go eight and two in a week a few weeks ago and the Yankees would have won thirteen in a row and it doesn't matter and they'd actually lose games going eight and two. But right now the way it's going with the rest of those teams, they they have enough to to catch up games. All right, well uh, let's move on to the AL Central. Well, 
No team is playing well in this division right now, and that's a bad sign for the White Sox, who are supposed to be a key contender in the race for really a World Series. Uh, they're still 11 games up on Cleveland, who is 71 and 73 on the season. The White Sox are 83 and 63, uh, but you know, lost. They're, they're four and six in their last ten. The best team of their division in the last ten games is the Tigers at six and four. They're 70 and 77 on the year, though, and 13 and a half games back. They're almost mathematically eliminated from this division race with about 15, 16-ish games left to go for all these teams. Uh, but the Royals at 66 and 80 are 17 games back, and then the Twins are 64 and 83 at 19 and a half games back. They're four and six in their last 10. The Royals are five and five. None of these teams have a positive run differential except for the White Sox at plus 133. And by the way, that is an accurate indication of how this team's been trending because they used to be at the top of the league with the Dodgers and the Astros in this category. Now they're below the Astros, they're below the Rays, they're below the Blue Jays and the Rays by 40 each. Uh, they're below the Dodgers by 100. They're below the Giants by 50. They're below. They're right where the Brewers are, and they're only a little bit above Atlanta, who had a really bad run differential for a division leader for a very long time. So the White Sox recently have not been playing so well, and uh, really, again, nobody in this division has, but... That plays the White Sox favor, I guess, because, well, they don't need anybody to play anything to win the division. Anybody could do whatever the heck they want, and the White Sox could win, like, two or three games for the rest of the season and win this division. So uh, they can take it easy, except for they really need to get their injured guys back and ready for the playoffs because you don't want Lance Lynn, Carlos Rodon, on a pitch count in the playoffs. It would be pretty bad for their team, uh, and... They can't be pitching 80 in the playoffs. You need Lance Lynn feeling like he can go out there and just throw 130, however many he feels like he needs to throw. So they they need to get back to themselves in terms of health. And also, their defense has not played well. They made a lot of dumb errors, and that's what's been holding them back. And by the way, you cannot make fielding errors in the playoffs. We have seen errors by players literally end their team's seasons and actually, a few years ago, sparked the World Series run of the Washington Nationals. So... Uh, it, Grisham. Yeah, Trent Grisham in the outfield <laughs> let the ball go under his under his glove. And by the way... The Nationals should give him a World Series right And by the way, well, that's the closest he'll ever get to one. Um, and by the way, the other thing about that that nobody ever talks about is that Christian Yelich was injured, and that's the only reason he was in the outfield. So when I'm talking about being healthy, they don't want some of the guys they have in the outfield in the outfield. They want them DHing. They want them off the bench. They don't want them playing in the field. Uh, and that's kind of where the errors have come in. They've had a lot of guys playing first base randomly when Abreu needs a day off. Uh, they've tried, I think, Gavin Sheets it is in the in the outfield, and he's not an outfielder. It might not be Gavin Sheets, but it's somebody who they've been trying out in the outfield, and it's not really working out too well. They're too injured, and they just really need to get healthier come playoff time uh, because right now, the way they're playing, I don't see them contending even with a team like the Blue Jays or the Red Sox. Uh, and I definitely don't see them beating a team like the Astros, who would be their first-round matchup. Yeah, uh, the good news for the White Sox is at least this is happening in September um, and not in, in October. Maybe it's a little bit of a wake-up call. Sometimes that happens for teams, and they have the luxury of that cushion. All right. Although it seemed like a wake-up call when it happened for about two weeks, maybe a month ago, and then it kind of stopped, but now it started again, and that's the really worrying part yeah. because you'd think that they'd have that conversation, it's time to lock down, yeah. and it seems like they did, but then it's still not working. So yeah, They've only got two, week, two and a half weeks to right the ship. 
Um, all right, well, let's move over to the American League West. Yeah, to write that ship will be almost impossible because of the team they're going to have to play in the first round, the Houston Astros, 86-60. and 60. As we know, championship pedigree, how legitimate that championship was is up for debate. But at the same time, look, their players have the experience. And by the way, the White Sox have literally three games of playoff experience among all their young players. So, uh, And even some of the older guys, I don't think Jose Abreu's ever been in the playoffs other than last year either because he's been stuck with the White Sox his whole career. So... Look, the Astros have a lot of playoff experience. They're in first place right now. They're seven games ahead of the A's at 79 and 67. The Mariners are 78 and 68, eight games back. So you might start to see in the next few weeks the Astros start to put some guys on pitching count, shuffle their rotation around, throw a bullpen game here or there, and all of a sudden they'll have a playoff rotation lined up exactly how they want it to. Uh, And that will be a scary thing for the White Sox that they're going to have to face that because – Right now with the injuries, I don't think their lineup even matches up, and the pitching staff does not match up with the Astros uh, very well, at least when you factor in the bullpen. Maybe the White Sox have better starters. I think you could definitely make that argument. I, I would agree with that. But the Astros are so solid, and regardless of the names on paper and the young stars that the White Sox have, the Astros have seasoned veterans who... Not, I mean, some of their guys who are having bad years are guys who they, who they kept because of the World Series runs, like Martin Maldonado. They even got Marwin Gonzalez back from the Red Sox, who was injured and out for a while, and then they picked him up uh, to add to the team because they have some injuries. Alemis Diaz has even been good for them. But look, that lineup with your Don Alvarez, Kyle Tucker, uh, Jose Altuve, I mean, look, Carlos Correa is hitting six in this lineup, and they got rid of George Springer in the offseason. The lineup is ridiculous. Jordan Alvarez is one of the best, is easily one of the best hitters. It doesn't get talked about nearly enough because he's a DH, but he's up there as one of the best hitters. He's definitely one of the best young hitters. Uh, Luis Garcia is a Rookie of the Year candidate, so if the Astros set up that rotation with that lineup where they have like seven guys hitting 280 with 20 home runs, it feels like, in every single day, the only outs you can get are at 8 and 9, and then everybody else only if you're lucky. Um, if they can set up their rotation, this team literally could take the AL. I would not be surprised if this team was able to beat the race because, by the way, they were down 3-0 to them last year and took them all the way to Game 7. So they've shown the ability to win three straight in a playoff series against the Rays with no fans in the stands, put them at mid-to-maid, maybe sure they don't have the home field advantage, but or they wouldn't have home field over the Rays, at least it seems, but... If you put this team at home, they're going to win some games at home in the playoffs. They're going to make a lot of noise. Uh, And this Astros team, I mean, that lineup is scary. And the Rays, we know the Rays are going to raise, but the Rays are not nearly as dangerous as the Astros, regardless of how the Astros are playing. And by the way, not saying the Rays won't lose. I'm not saying the Rays won't lose to the Blue Jays or the Red Sox in in the first round, but... That Astros lineup is very, very deep and very, very dangerous. It will be really, really tough to beat them in the playoffs in the same way that I'm pretty sure the Giants don't want the Dodgers winning the wild will do anything they can to make sure the Dodgers don't win that wild card game because they don't want to play them either, and nobody wants to play either the Dodgers or the Giants in the rest of the postseason. But for the rest of this, uh, you know, the Angels are 14 games back at 72 and 74, which ironically enough is one game be- is a half game better than the Mets, but they find themselves 14 games out of their division race, and the Mets only find themselves five and a half out. So really just shows you they got a bad draw there. Uh, the Rangers, 54 and 92, 32 games back. Maybe a team that could avoid the 100-loss category, but we'll have to see. It depends. <laughs> uh, they'd have to go a little bit above 500 for the rest of the season. Yeah. But... 
in that wild card race, those two teams in second and third here, three games back and four games back, the A's three back and the Mariners four back of that Blue Jays-Red Sox tie. But when you have the Yankees in third in that wild card race at a half game back, you'd have to leapfrog two teams to get there. So it's not, you're not relying on one team to slump uh, and then just get over that one team, which is which would be a three-game deficit already in about 10, to, in about maybe 15 games. You're looking to get over two teams and make sure that two teams slump. And by the way, two really, really talented teams, regardless of who they are. And by the way, the Yankees, the Red Sox, and the Blue Jays are all more talented than the A's or the Mariners are. So uh, you're looking for teams more talented than you to just randomly slump out of nowhere. So it'll be very, very hard for those teams to get in the playoffs. Well, so American League wildcard race going to come down to the wire, looks like, just like the uh, National League wildcard race uh, will. will be talking about that in future podcasts when we look at Major League Baseball as this wraps up our look at Major League Baseball for this edition of the podcast. Now let's turn our attention to random, assorted, important news in the world of sports. And let's start with some college football news. We covered this a little bit on the last podcast, but Clay Helton was fired at USC. Uh, putting a little more stats here, he leaves USC with a 46-24 and record in total. But a 1-3 record in bowl games where he coached the team throughout the season. Of course, he actually got his first win in a bowl game. So 2-3 and three overall technically in bowl games. But he wasn't the real coach of the season uh, or coach for the season throughout that run. So I won't give him that much credit for that one. So yeah, the bowl game record, not great. Um, the overall record, I mean, 46-24 and 24 would keep you for life at a program like maybe Louisville. It would keep you for life at a program, maybe even like Mississippi State or Ole Miss that are in some tough conferences. Uh, But when you start talking even about the Auburn type level programs, as soon as you get to that level, if you're expected to be that good and USC has some of the highest pressure, 46 and 24 doesn't cut it. it. It wouldn't cut it at a lot of places in the country, especially with not that many ties to the program itself. Maybe if it was a former player, maybe if it was somebody like Keyshawn Johnson or somebody like that, a former player. Yeah, but but if it was somebody who had some ties to USC, maybe they'd have a little bit of a longer leash. But 46 and 24 at that high high level of a program, supposedly also with the recruiting classes they've had and who they have to pick from in terms of talent in the state, in the talent deep state of California, they really can't get uh, other teams out of their state. I mean, you can name any national program, any really good program. Alabama, even Michigan's had some success recruiting. Everybody can recruit out of California, and USC is supposed to be the one that locks that down and makes sure that California is theirs. And by the way, with how good UCLA is right now, this probably isn't good long-term for them, uh, that they have this coaching turmoil. But in reality, they kind of got to come up with a solution now because uh, if they kept with him long-term, I don't think he'd get the recruiting situation any better, even though it was already good to begin with, and now it's kind of deteriorating. And the team performance has not gotten any better, and that loss against Stanford was obviously the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, that was not a good look, losing to that Stanford team. It's not a good look when the uh, Coliseum is empty on national, late national television within the, in the fourth quarter. New athletic director, uh, Clay Helton, hung on way too long um, at, at SC, and uh, that kind of record, like you said, is not going to get it done with that program. So a lot of speculation uh, circulating around college football, pro football, about who's going to be there. But, uh, Patrick, what's our, our next note here? Well, our next note is an MLB one, but, you know, you have to break up the MLB news with some other news, so we had to start with college football, but now we're going to the MLB. 
Salvador Perez tied the home run record for primary catchers in a in a whole season at 45 home runs. He tied Johnny Bench. He has 30 home runs as a catcher and 15 as a DH. Uh, and Johnny Bench, I believe, had 38 as a catcher yes. and seven at other positions that year. But uh, look, the other thing that happened in this home run race, Vladimir Guerrero caught Shohei earlier in the week for the overall lead in the in the race at 44 earlier in the week. And then passed him at 45, and then Perez caught both of them uh, at 45, and now Shohei's actually in third in that home run race. And by the way, he's actually being shut down for the year as a pitcher, it seems, because of some soreness that he's dealing with. So Shohei's MVP candidacy is kind of falling by the wayside, and if Salvador Perez was on a playoff team, I think he would be the favorite because nobody talks about it, but guess who's going to deny Vladdy the Triple Crown? Perez, because Perez not only actually is tied with him in home runs, he leads the AL in RBIs. Nobody talks about it, but he's actually the guy who's standing in the way of Vladimir Guerrero, not on the average front, but in terms of home runs and RBIs, he's the guy standing in his way. So he should be in the home run, co- he should be in the MVP conversation. He's going to get two two of the three parts of the Triple Crown in all likelihood. Uh, maybe Vladdy takes it, I don't know. Maybe because the games mean more to him at the end of the year, but at the same time... Vladdy still has to play really to help his team, whereas Perez, if he wants to, he probably has the license as the old vet there, the guy with the World Series experience. Exactly. (laughs) They would let him hit 10 home runs in the final five games if he just wants to keep swinging at whatever he wants to. I mean, exactly. They could put him anywhere that, I mean, maybe he'll even ask for it. I mean, teams have done that in the past to, to chase a record or two, so... You never know. Maybe he will. I think that happened in the Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa race at some point where both of them ended up hitting lead off uh, to, to chase some home runs. But, you know, you're right. It could actually happen. And by the way, I guarantee you the Blue Jays won't counter by doing the same because they need to keep a lineup yes. in synergy for the playoffs. And they also need to keep him in the spot where he's going to get a lot of RBIs. They don't really care about his home run numbers. Uh, although, it's still possible that, that he wins the home run race. But... I think I got my money on Perez. I said that he would be a factor in the home run derby, and really, he was the second best. He just lost to the eventual champion in the first round and had the toughest matchup. He hit the second most home runs out of any round, but he, he's been showing it all year that he has been. Uh, he's a he's a power hitter. He's a great power hitter still. All right. Well, let's talk about some other power hitters in tennis. Uh, yeah, a little bit of a different type of power hitter, but yeah, Daniil Medvedev and Emma Raducanu are the U.S. Open men's and women's winners of the tournament for this year. Medvedev denied Novak Djokovic of the calendar Grand Slam to win his first major title, which seems surprising for a world number two, but when you consider Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer are still in the sport, although they weren't for this tournament, and then you got Djokovic, really, I mean, those big three have split all the titles, and then you had Andy Murray poke in for a few of them a long time ago, but that was before Medvedev was really that great. But uh, this year, he's rose to number two by beating literally every single person he can, with the exception of Novak Djokovic at majors. Uh, And because of that, he's gotten all the way up to world number two. But now that he's beat Djokovic, he's now really solidified himself as the world number two because nobody else has beaten Djokovic all year. And he did it at a major and denied him of the calendar slam. And he has a major title, which is something that Tsitsipas and something that Zverev can't say. And he's really separated himself there uh, in the behind Djokovic conversation. Uh, and we don't know what's going on with Nadal and Federer long-term. Really, Federer's situation is really, really uh, tough at this point. But look, move on from Medvedev. 
Raducanu became the first qualifier to win a major tournament in the Open era. She played in the qualifying tournament for the U.S. Open, had to get, to, had to play, place well enough at the qualifying tournament to even get into this tournament, and she's also a teenager. So what a great unexpected run by both players, and also she's a Brit. She's a Brit, which is very rare. I think it's been since the '60s since a British win. Yeah, since a British women's player won a major tournament. Obviously, Andy Murray's had some success on the men's side, but uh, look, these are pretty good. These are pretty big wins for tennis as a whole to get some new champions, and it seems like it always happens at the U.S. Open because last year Djokovic got DQ'd from it, while uh, or maybe two years ago Djokovic got DQ'd from it, while Bianca Andreescu won her first career title there. Uh, so it, it's interesting, and I think she was ranked outside of the top 100 before then, and she... Lost earlier in this tournament herself, I think only in the quarterfinals or something like that. But some great runs uh, on both sides. Yep, and we both got both of our predictions wrong, but uh, we'll trade that. But I was definitely closer than you. Yes, you were. Because we both picked Djokovic, but my 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 uh, my title pick had only hadn't lost a set until the quarterfinals, where she lost two in a row. And mine lost the round before. But, yeah, uh, great, great U.S. Open tournament, and great to see some. Bright new young faces on the women's side, two of them in the finals. Um, let's now move on to some notes in the National Football League. Well, the Giants are now 0-10 in the first two games of the season for over the last five seasons after their loss to the Washington football team. Uh, and what a bad loss it was to jump off sides on the, on the game-winning kick that, well, it was actually not going to be the game-winning kick because Dustin Hopkins missed it. But Dexter Lawrence jumped off sides, bailed him out. Is it just me, or if you get a field goal, if you get a penalty on a field goal to, at the end of the game, they always make it on the next of attempt. Course. There's no such thing as missing the second field goal attempt. Or when you call timeout at the end of the game and somebody misses it and you try to ice them, then everybody gets mad at you that you shouldn't have been icing them because they end up making it right after, which, by the way, happened last weekend with the Vikings and Bengals. Uh, the Bengals kicker kicked it short, and then all of a sudden he made the 52-yarder on the next go-around and made the game-winning field goal in overtime. So the field goal curses are real. I would just say don't do anything because the other thing is everybody ices the kicker. So if you don't, if you don't call the timeout, he'll be waiting for he it. He's, he and by the way, guess yeah. what? It happened, and the Raiders had a delay of game because of that because Daniel Carson wasn't on the field. <laughs> Uh, and then they got moved five yards back, and then they pulled a great play on the Ravens on Monday Night Football. But really, what a bad loss for the Giants. And overall, uh, your head coach is the former special teams coordinator of the Patriots, so they should be more disciplined in general and more disciplined on that side. All right, next uh, next note from uh, NFL. Uh, we talked about the Ravens for a little bit, but uh, after losing J.K. Dobbins to a torn ACL and Justice Hill to an Achilles injury, although I don't know if it's, all, if it's for the season for uh, Justice Hill, Gus Edwards and Marcus Peters were also lost for the season to torn ACLs. Uh, in the same practice. In the same practice. This was a this was about a week and a half ago, so we did know this before the last game, but we haven't had this segment in a while, so we had to throw it in here because it is pretty important. And by the way, uh, John Harbaugh said that he ended the practice right after because he he, he didn't want to see anything else happen after the cursed. second guy. He thought, he <laughs> thought there's no way that they should still be practicing. Maybe something wrong with the field. I can't really say. I'm, I'm obviously not in Baltimore on site looking at the field, and I'm not a ground screw guy anyway. Uh, but, the, I, I mean, look, there's maybe it's just a bad feeling. It's a bad omen, and you don't want to keep doing that. Don't mess and with the bad practice juju. Exactly. So uh, some bad some bad news, though, for the Ravens. And then they also have uh, Chris Westry, who was the backup to Marcus Peters, who's now out for a few weeks uh, after the Raiders game. So, look, they need some help in the secondary right now. 
Uh, it's actually pretty similar to how they got Marcus Peters in the first place because they were injured and needed help in the secondary. But we'll have to see what happens uh, uh, with the Raider, with the Ravens. But I think their defense is still good enough to hold it down, but they, they have to get a real good pass rush going to get some blitzes and make sure that, because they're not getting any coverage sacks with the secondary they have right now. Uh, but in other injury news, Ryan Fitzpatrick will be out for six to eight weeks, allowing Taylor Heineke to start and even cash in a $125,000 bonus check for the win against the against the Giants last night. And by the way, he gets an $125,000 check for every win as a part of his contract. So Washington probably kicking themselves now that he's actually playing in games. Uh, but who knows? Heineke could be the next the next Kurt Warner. Really a good undrafted story. He actually has more passing yards. He has the second most passing yards for an undrafted quarterback uh, over his first three games and I think the last like 20 or so years. So he's doing pretty well to start his career and uh, I think they might believe in him. But I think they're also willing to trade $125,000 for every win. They would gladly pay that guy a couple million dollars this year. Yeah, I mean, if he, if hey, if they get into the million dollars range with, with his contract, they'll be easily cruising to the playoffs yes. because uh, let's just say to get there in the next six to eight weeks before Fitzpatrick is back, do you know who they have to play? Because... They have four road games, and do you want to know who the three home games are? The Chiefs and the Buccaneers, and I forget, and the Packers, I believe, are the third one. So, uh, look, they're not going to win any of those home games, let's be quite honest. So it'll be a ridiculous uh, try for them. But let's move on from football to baseball. Max Scherzer got his 3,000th career strikeout and also pitched an immaculate inning in the same game. And, oh, yeah, he also took a perfect game into the eighth inning in that same game. Uh, what an afternoon against the Padres for him. And by the way, Eric Hosmer, who was his 3,000th career strikeout, also broke up the no- the perfect game. So eh, you take what you can get. You got him for one record, but now he breaks up the perfect game. So a little bit of a disruptor after he gave you a little bit of a gift. <laughs> what? But probably one of the most dominant regular season, or any time, but certainly um, one of the most compelling regular season uh, starts you'll see in terms of the 3,000 3, strikeout on the And an immaculate and, inning, yeah. The immaculate inning and then chasing that perfect game into and, the eighth inning. And by the way, Max Scherzer all season, as I said, he might have taken over the Cy Young candidacy with that one, uh, the lead in that in that race. And look, he's going to be a force for the Dodgers. I mean, he was for the Nationals a few years ago. Nobody wanted to play against Scherzer in those games. But, uh, I mean... We'll see. Maybe maybe he can spark the run for the Dodgers. Maybe he can win them the wild card game and then get the ball rolling from there. We'll, we'll, I mean, again, we'll have to see. But what a great pitcher. An easy, easy, easy Hall of Famer. Salvador Perez has a case, but it's not that great. But he is an easy, easy Hall of Famer. Uh, so great to see him get that milestone. And really, I don't even think there's anyone else close to that at this point for a while. But uh, well, maybe we'll see it in a few years with some other guys. Yeah, but. well, it will be an exciting end to the MLB season uh, that we will follow it, and that will also be the end to this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. So please join us for our next podcast, which will be on Monday, September 20th, where we will check out the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions and discuss weekend action in college football and the NFL. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his Major League Baseball power rankings and his predictions for the entire college football and NFL seasons on our website, 4thand24.com. That's all at the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.